to the This Makes Me Uncomfortable podcast, where we discuss all things that make us uncomfortable. I'm your co-host, Allura. And I'm your other co-host, Jade. It is springtime, everyone. Baby bunnies, growth, new life, flowers and shit. So we're going to make you uncomfortable today by talking about our bodies and our health and, of course, vaginas and all their upkeep those life-giving beasts that they are gotta get those bikini bods ready for the summer am i right so before we actually start our episode topic jade got Mm -hmm. any rants qualms complaints anyone make you uncomfortable recently you make anyone uncomfortable yes both actually um so i'll start with the discomfort that was done unto me uh (laughs) So, okay, genetics is a bitch because, (laughs) um, you know, I grew up with the Vietnamese side of my family. So everyone's wrist is like a dainty bird wing, like just a little sparrow, so delicate. But I inherited a lot of the Norwegian bodily features with the height and also the boobs, like the big boobs, like the fat meat sacks that will keep you warm through a Scandinavian winter. So that's been a struggle my entire life, not only in people making gross comments about it and assuming that they are for public use, but also just for bras. Because here's the fucked up thing. Mm -hmm. If you have... I mean, I don't want to use the word small, but if your breasts are on the earlier end of the alphabet in terms of cup size, you can walk into any old capitalist institution, Target, Walmart, if you want to go the evil Victoria's Secret route with all those bitchy workers in there. Yeah, you can go in there and you can find cute patterns and fabrics and lace and bows and all of this stuff to make you feel like a woman. And you can get it for fairly affordable, right? Like, I see bras at Target for, like, 20 bucks or something. If you are further down the alphabet, as I am, everything is so expensive. Like, minimum $75. What? Yes! And it seems so discriminatory, right? Like, okay, genetics and nature gave you this larger chest size so now we're gonna charge you an arm and a leg for what is like two inches more of fabric it's really not that much but I think they know it's a niche market so of course they're gonna just highway robbery so I spent on average like a hundred dollars a bra just because those are the only things that fit me it's heinous and gross and I hate it so um so I was just running bras ragged recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I got to order more, but I've 
in the past two months, I've lost like 40 pounds. So the, my, the band size is different. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to order down a size in the band and the cup just to adjust to my weight. For some reason, the size below the size that I was wearing that was feeling too big now is way too small. There's like spillage, the cup overrunneth with nature's Mm -hmm. bounty, the jiggly, jiggly bounty. (laughs) So now I'm out 200 bucks and no bra size that fits because the size I was wearing feels too big. And then the size below it, directly below it, is way too small. Is this some <laughs> trick by the by the big brazier companies to just keep me buying stuff that will never really fit? Is this a metaphor for how I will never fit anywhere? Wow. Okay. Um. Like spiritually. <laughs> So that makes me very uncomfortable physically and mentally. I just feel like I cannot be comfortable anywhere. <sighs> what do I do, Laura? What do I do? <laughs> and I, so terrible. I've actually taken the time and the discomfort and the humiliation of going to those places where they measure and fit you and like someone mm-hmm. is just grabbing your boobs and moving them around and done all that to find my actual size so if anybody's listening and I'm like oh you should do that yeah I've done it and it's not working because I wonder if you could build one build one like out of Legos no (laughs) (laughs) because if you're already spending like a hundred dollars each bra Mm-hmm. It feels like it should be like a Build-A-Bear situation where you can, yeah. you know, build mm-hmm. the perfect one for you. Yeah, like a custom thing. Yeah. There's got to be an old lady in a basement somewhere with a sewing machine, so. like ready to cut my breasts. Well, anyway, it's a bummer. And I'm sorry. <clears throat> You know, plastic surgery is so big in the Asian American community, especially like I was just in Little Saigon yesterday and everywhere you look, like every billboard is for plastic surgery because colonialism, racism. <laughs> but I and I then I look at people I know who have gotten boob jobs to get these bigger boobs and I'm just like, man, I don't it's not a good fucking sell for me. Like no. I just like lots of trials and tribulations, you know? And I know that maybe it sounds ungrateful because a lot of people spend tens of thousands of dollars to get boobs this size, but... Would you ever get your boobs reducted? I've thought about it, but I just can't fathom spending the money on that. Although here I am spending $200 on bras Mm -hmm. like every few months, so it probably equals out. Um, It probably would help the back pain, the agonizing back pain that I experience on a daily basis. Like every Tuesday is mm-hmm. paralysis. Now, have you made anyone uncomfortable lately? That's just my everyday existence. Um, no, I don't oh think my God. so. Your pause just made me uncomfortable. <laughs> so 
Have you noticed, I mean, for fearful avoidant people, I really feel like when there's a silence, I feel like I have to interject. So I'm definitely not fearful avoidant when there's an awkward silence. I feel like I have to fill it up with something usually inappropriate. You're doing it again. I know. Okay. So this is actually one of my favorite things to do is I like when someone asks me a question, I'll just stare at them. Do you feel like it produces the results that you want? It does every single time. Um, I do this to my best friend and it's, I just can see her get flustered and like just (laughs) guess her whole existence in this small amount of time I'm just staring at her and sitting in silence and it's so fun for me it's one of my favorite pastimes if there's anything that I've learned from my abusers it's that (laughs) silence does wield power so I can see that it's also a great negotiation tactic you know like if you're on the phone And, like, you'd, like, mm-hmm. you know, say something. You just, like, wait. And, like, whoever speaks first loses, you know? It's, like, an unspoken thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because when that person starts to scramble, you know that you inherently have the upper hand. Too, oh, totally. So. I always try to have the upper hand every time. I think you do. I think, really, our whole plane of existence is your giant palm <laughs> just, like, holding us and, you know, shaking us around like dice. <clears throat> okay so I made someone uncomfortable this week and it is one in a long chain of folks that I've made uncomfortable with this particular behavior or trait Mm -hmm. that I have so maybe this is related to your silent treatment too you probably had this before but and I think many women in the audience our vast, vast audience of listeners that might relate to this as well. It's when you have, I know it's problematic, but a resting bitch face Mm -hmm. and you are not adhering to our societal expectation to like smile and be like, Oh, what can I do for you? Can I suck your dick? Like that kind of like always service oriented facial expression and demeanor and so I definitely I think it's a survival skill like I walk around looking like I want to fucking fight you that I don't have time for you because I've learned over the years that that has kept me pretty safe like talk about fearful avoidant it keeps people at a distance so I feel comfortable with that Uh, but I'm trying to be a more involved and connected person, especially for my kids so that they don't feel like they have to be afraid of the world as I grew up learning. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm doing that is so uncomfortable for me is to volunteer at my kids' elementary school. Wow. Yeah. So not only do I have to interact with adults at an educational institution, which is triggering for me (laughs) but I also have to be around a classroom full of kids which at the end of my volunteer service every time I'm really happy that I did it because the kids are fun like they're just their uninhibited selves which I appreciate there's no bullshit of this adult facade that people build up over time like they make me laugh they're funny I love a fart joke (laughs) in full measure as they do (laughs) because that's my maturity level so it's really fun. 
but the RBF is still there. So I'm like holding this kid's hand and helping him deal with some problems. And I'm holding his hand and walking him to the lunch line because the rest of the class has already moved on. And I, I don't want him to feel left behind or left out because he was having his own individual issues. So <clears throat> I am, I'm trying to like be really attuned to what his needs are. And so I'm in my head thinking about that. Like, okay, if I was going through this when I was this young, like, what would I have wanted someone to say? Because the things that I was asking him and like how I was trying to engage with him wasn't really working. So I was like, okay, how do I adapt to help him feel more comfortable and not feel ashamed of the problems he's having? So I'm like in my head overthinking it, trying to do different break trauma cycles (laughs) in this few minutes I have with this kid. And this other teacher comes up to me and she's looking at me and this teacher has the most fucking annoying voice. She has one of those, uh, like almost like a falsetto voice, mm-hmm. but it's there all the time. Like, Hey kids, it's like always up there. And I'm like, did you watch too many Disney movies or something growing up? Because you need like an anchor to reality. You need some bass baby. Um, and I just, I hate the sound of her voice and the way she talks to people. And she looks at me. I'm like, Oh my God she's going to say something to me and this is not going to go well. And I already have my RBF on because I'm like thinking about this kid and all these issues. And she goes, Oh, looks like one of the moms has lost her smile today. What can we do to get it back? I can feel like this whole history of people saying, how come you don't smile more? What's wrong? Give me a smile, sweetie. Like it's a happy day. Nothing bad's going on. And I've always hated that because you don't know what's fucking going on in my life or my mind. Like how presumptuous is it for you to just tell me smile more? Why? Because I, my face made you uncomfortable. So now I have to bend my whole body literally to make you feel more comfortable, that's pretty fucked up and selfish. Like, especially for a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, is that what you're talking to your students like? Like, the kids having a bad day and crying about something, and you're like, "Oh, let's give us a smile." <laughs> it just seemed. I mean, I was ready to fight. Like, I was ready to <laughs> fucking cut a bitch down in the middle of the schoolyard because she told me like, "Smile more." And I know that that's me making her uncomfortable, but moral of the story is it made me more uncomfortable. So she's the bitch. (laughs) So lesson to our listeners, before you tell someone to smile more or change their face or their behavior, think about what could that person be going through? How can you approach it differently? And to not project your uncomfortableness on others. Exactly. Like, it's so self-involved, I think. Uh, But yeah, if she was uncomfortable because she felt like I didn't smile at her because I don't like her, then she's right. (laughs) She's actually more perceptive than she gives herself credit for. Yeah, so the world goes round. We get uncomfortable. We make others uncomfortable so much content for this podcast Laura. Totally. it's just endless yeah we are true creators <laughs> <laughs> all right 
So today, as we said, for springtime, we're going to be focusing our bodies, these reproductive meat puppets that are rolling the earth, ready to create new life every spring so that the misery and the discomfort continues in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So should we start with our bodies? I think we should start with our bodies. How do you feel about your body, Allura? (sighs) (laughs) Settle in, everyone. This is going to be a four-hour episode. (laughs) Well, I think (laughs) as women, we're constantly being (sighs) criticized and like, you know, I idealized especially with social media now and all the plastic surgery and getting that normalized Mm -hmm. and all the comparison and so I just long story short I just don't feel very good about it and (laughs) I was actually listening to this other podcast called Mean Girl Pod and they had like this whole it also it's like two like beautiful stunning like girls that are hosting it and then their like producer who is also stunningly gorgeous and so they were all just like saying the same things just like but for their own specific reasons but it was all like we hate how we look but they're stunning you know and the producer was just like actually like I don't think like that anymore and she was essentially saying like she got injured and so she like lost like 10 15 pounds Mm -hmm. as like she was like healing because like she couldn't like necessarily eat um how she normally would like she wasn't like exercising but she was still like losing a lot of weight and she always said like when her body was healthy like she her goal was always to lose like 10 15 pounds Mm -hmm. but she did and so like when she was looking in the mirror she realized like i'm at the weight I always said I wanted to be at and I feel the same way like I still feel bad about Mm -hmm. how I look so she was like that was like like a light switch went off and she was like I'm not gonna think like that anymore because it's not productive and it's not true you know it's like outside voices and so I was Mm -hmm. listening to that on my drive to work one day and I was just like I'm gonna be more conscious about the way I talk to myself but it hasn't mm-hmm. really been working so um <laughs> <clears throat> yeah it's like really a mental state and how you talk to yourself about being okay with where you are because I mean the way that because it's also subjective and the way that we're socialized, no matter where you are, there's always going to be a problem with it, whether it's weight or the shape of your face or, you know, whatever. That's And that particular story is kind of scary because she lost the 10, 15 pounds because she was sick and mm-hmm. like recovering. So if she's going to get positive feedback for being at a lower body weight because of illness, like what message does that send? Right. To girls, like, you can achieve this societal expectation, like, through illness. Have you ever struggled with eating disorders? Because I know you and I love food. We love food. Has that Um, that been a problem for you? I don't don't think I have necessarily a problem with it. I do eat when I'm 
bored or stressed or sad or any of that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's healthy. (laughs) 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 Let's just say that it is. (laughs) Well, like, because you said earlier, you know, usually when it's a normal weather for us, uh, you know, at least over 72, you exercise Mm -hmm. and things. So you have that balance. But I'm definitely an emotional eater, too. And I think that's understandable yeah I will say like food is like the one pure like joy and happiness I experience yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is and it's a way to like bond with people too yeah so so there's a, a lot of healthy things that go along with food I think so and <laughs> <laughs> so I I also struggled with the weight issue, especially when I was in my teenage years. And I do think there was a period where I could say that I had probably an eating disorder to the point where, because I really struggled with OCD. Oh, there's this dog walking by. I love it. So cute. Um, I was super OCD. And to the point where I would, like, everything that I said, and at this time in my life, I wasn't saying much, but everything that I said, I would move my fingers as if I was typing out the words I was saying, and it felt really uncomfortable if I couldn't type it out. And then I would do things like um, step over the seams in the sidewalk and count those as well. So there's, like, a lot of obsessive-compulsive tendencies at this time in my life. And one of the things that I started doing was counting calories and then trying to go lower and lower every day to the point where I was down to like 250 calories a day. And the calories that I was consuming, it was not healthy. It was like a starburst, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and it got to the point where I was getting really faint and dizzy, like. Uh, like a Victorian housewife. Like I just had like dizzy spells and the vapors all the time. Um, And one time I passed out and I hit my head on the tile floor and my sister was little, like three or four at the time. And I came to from the blackout with her looking over me and she was wearing like a little Teletubbies costume. (laughs) And she looked so worried on her little toddler face. And I was like, oh, man, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't pass out and have her find me and, you know, do that to to her, make her feel that I'm not capable of taking care of her or taking care of myself. So that kind of ended that. But I could see how that's a slippery slope, you know. And like you said on that podcast, like, wherever you get to it's never enough if Mm -hmm. you can't coach your mind into a healthy spot so it was very scary to have that body dysmorphia and look in the mirror and feel like every time you look into it it's disgusting and you need to do drastic things to get it to a place that someone will approve of and I mean that's just like body weight I mean forget about all the face shit (laughs) I've gone through (laughs) Don't get me started on my face and how I feel about that. I have a question. How did your thoughts or attitudes 
change or not change when you were pregnant and like afterwards? Oh, that's a good question. You know, in my first pregnancy, I felt awesome. Like I felt really strong and healthy physically. And I was so, so happy to be pregnant because, you know, I'm a relatively older mom and I was very concerned about having problems conceiving or having miscarriages. And so once the pregnancy was there to stay, I was just super, super pumped and grateful. And so I didn't have those issues that a lot of women talk about of like, oh, I'm getting so fat and I can't fit in anything. I feel so insecure. I, I really didn't feel that way. Um, and even I had really bad, uh, not morning sickness, like all day sickness for the first four months of that pregnancy. So I was barfing all the time. So this was the year before I met you, Laura, but I would go to class and I would teach and then immediately barf after. Oh my God. And I'd barf before the next class. It was just really, really nasty. But, um, even with all that, those troubles, like I felt good, um, After that first pregnancy, I think I mentioned this before on an earlier episode, I had really bad postpartum depression. And because of that, I was not eating or taking care of myself. And my body literally like wasted away. I think I lost, after I had her, I think I lost 50 or 60 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it was weird because everybody responded real positively. Oh my God, mama, looking great. (laughs) You know, way to bounce back. And I was like, oh, it's because I'm dying inside. <laughs> like, because my soul is no longer weighing me down. It's gone. <laughs> um, So that was hard because I got these mixed messages of, you know, oh, physically you look like what we've always wanted you to look like. But inside I was just really, really struggling. My second pregnancy was a little bit different because <clears throat> I was starting out at a much lower weight. And, um, with the second pregnancy I had, so with my first pregnancy, all I craved was fruit. And that is definitely true for my daughter today. Like all she wants to eat is fruit all the time. So they're definitely who they were in the womb. Second child, fucking nachos, pizza, (laughs) ice cream sundaes, throw down. (laughs) We are a stoner when it comes to food, just like all the junk food. So because I was starting at a lower weight, I mentally gave myself more license to be like, well, you're pregnant. This is probably going to be your last pregnancy because you're getting old. Your ovaries are dying. So like, just go with it, like indulge every craving. And so I did. We made many Del runs. Let me tell you those, um, the queso blanco at Del Taco. Mm -hmm. I know that's not like real queso blanco, but that was what she wanted all the time. So I indulged. So I put on more weight during that pregnancy And I didn't feel bad about it until I had a really bad fall when I was six months pregnant, I think, six or seven months pregnant. And luckily the baby was okay, but I fucked up my ankle and it like bruised my whole leg all the way up to my knee. And so I had to be off my leg for a few weeks, I think. Because when you're pregnant, your bones and your joints soften to prepare to push a fucking human being out of your vagina. So it wasn't like I just sprained my ankle. Like it messed up my knee and my hip and like the whole right side of my body pretty much fell out of place. So 
<clears throat> I couldn't exercise the way that I had before in the pregnancy. <clears throat> so I put on more weight because of that. And then after having that second baby, we were thrown into pandemic. And I was so anxious. Um, I mean, the pandemic was when my husband always says that I get eerily calm in times of crisis. And I think that that's because my whole life feels like a time of crisis. So I was pretty calm about the pandemic itself. But then when George Floyd's murder happened, I think that really caused my anxiety to spiral. Um, And I was like in riot mode, you know, like ready to like literally fight for our lives and worried about the future and what kind of world my daughters were going into and just like watching continued suffering. Anyway, this is not a podcast about racism or police (laughs) murder, but it's not, I think that, that was really the impetus where I was like, I'm going to start self-medicating because I can't handle these feelings of grief and anger and rage about the racial dynamic of this country. So during the pandemic, I really like doubled down on the weed gummies and drinking and eating too. Cause I was like, fuck, well the world's ending. So I'm going to take this handful of gummies and make a smorgasbord of the tastiest snacks <laughs> you have ever seen. <laughs> I can make a killer nacho plate, Alora. I'm just saying. So I think that was hard to gain that much weight over that time. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily because of the pregnancy. And I know this is a heinously long answer, but hopefully by sharing it, we help people feel a little less alone mm-hmm. with that because I, I really do think our medical system is fucked from the jump, but it really does a doozy on women, women's bodies and especially pregnant bodies. Like there's no support mentally, emotionally, or physically for recuperating after one of the potentially most traumatic things that your body is just quote unquote naturally expected to do. So I mean, I've only experienced a sliver of that. I know so many women go through so much more in terms of recovery, but, and I had two C-sections and I recovered like a champ from the surgery. I got discharged from the hospital early, both times. They let me go like days early. Cause they were like, you're walking around, you're doing stuff. You can go home. Um, Cause all those other wussy ass bitches are just laying around. I'm like, oh, my stitches. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, women's bodies go through a lot and we don't get support. So I think it's important to talk about this and let people know that whatever your body goes through, that's, it's okay. <laughs> and it's okay to get help. Like you, you should, you deserve help. Um, so yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I feel like I'm just like traipsing through some landscape of my own memories and I don't remember how I got there. So I apologize no, for oversharing. I love when you go on these tangents and it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so do you think you'll ever have a positive outlook on how you look like? No. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, here's the thing. Um, like, okay, so I counter your question with another question. How do you feel about this body positivity movement? So when you're looking on Instagram and it's like, oh, you know, love your body for what it is. Or even when you look at artists, like I love Lizzo's music, but when she talks about, you know, being more open and accepting of full-figured women or, you know, I think we're seeing more advertisements now with different skin tones and facial shapes and everything like that. Do you feel like that's helping you? Like, do you feel like body positivity culture can be the change that we need? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it is helpful to kind of see. You know what? It, it, it hasn't been like on social media that's helped me. It's been like we were trapped in our houses for like two plus years. And now that we're kind of like back in, like what has helped me is like seeing other women's bodies just in like real life and like, Mm -hmm. you know, like going about their everyday things and we're all shapes and sizes and all of them are so stunning. And so Mm -hmm. that's what has helped me and kind of being like starting to be okay with how I look like is just seeing everyone else like in their natural habitat like just walking around going to their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. you know because <clears throat> I haven't really like, paid attention to like the social media movement I don't think social media movements are very well organized so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was just seeing you know women in the wild like realistic depictions of women and seeing beauty everywhere. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so let me ask you something about social media, though. Because okay. I think, especially for younger women, that's where they get a lot of their sense of self. <clears throat> so I avoid having any image of myself on social media. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, let me show you a picture of my dog or this book <laughs> that I'm reading because I have a mind, too. <laughs> Um, And I know that you have some pictures, stunning, gorgeous pictures of you because you are stunning and gorgeous through and through. Even your cold, dead heart is beautiful (laughs) to me. Sit in a glass case and worship it and light candles around it. Um, When you post those things, I guess my question is twofold. So when you post it, how do you feel when you're sharing that? depiction of yourself with the world and then when you inevitably get comments because I'm sure you do because I've seen some of your DMs um, (laughs) does that influence the reception influence how you feel about your body um yes so Mm -hmm. what has helped me is I've turned off like the like count Because I used to always judge, like, if I would, like, archive the photo or if I would just, like, delete it based on, like, the amount of likes that I was getting. So I've, like, totally disabled that so you can't see, like, I can still see, like, how many likes I get. But I think it was, like, the perception of others, like, that they could see it and they could judge. So I've taken that away. Um yeah, sometimes I post for validation, but who doesn't, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> so 
So does it does it validate you when people are like, oh my god, you look beautiful or yeah, great outfit? But you know, I never do it for like getting the male gaze. It's always like I want my girlfriends and like the girls that are following me to comment. Like that's what I'm really striving for. Like I want the girls to give me praise. You know? Mm-hmm. Cause like yeah. I hate it when like guys are like commenting because they're like, you know, couldn't care less. Yeah. Well it just feels a little creepy when guys do it. Right. But I think that's the other side of the male gaze, right? Because Laura Mulvey says, or Mulvey, uh, God, I hate being in academia. It's actually Mulvey. I'm like, fuck yourself. Anyway, what she said about the male gaze is that the insidious part of it is that we internalize it. So it's like we adorn ourselves mostly for other women now. Mm-hmm like to get that validation I was talking about this with my husband the other day because I have never been to a nail salon never had a manicure pedicure anything like that I think it feels a little weird to me as a Vietnamese person because it's a Vietnamese dominated industry at least Mm -hmm. here so I always feel weird paying other Vietnamese women to wait on me and then they think I'm not Vietnamese so they're talking shit about me in Vietnamese and I have to be like oh you know so that this is an awkward a situation that I'm trying to avoid although I'm okay with patronizing other Vietnamese businesses like bakeries and restaurants mm-hmm. but anyway I'm a contradiction just to fuck yourself if you're criticizing yeah. me yeah <laughs> um so I've never had that. And then I was talking to my husband and I was like, who are the nails for? Cause I was like, do you, do you care what my nails look like? Do you want me to have longer painted nails so I can, I don't know, like scratch your back in the throes of ecstasy. <laughs> like, what? like who is it for? And he's like, I, I couldn't care less. Like I think it's for other women, right? Cause you compare the design and the style so that's like a money and time that we put into impressing our own gender of our worth. <laughs> <laughs> when you go get your nails done, because you always have like really artistically done nails. Does How does it make you feel to have that? And do you get a lot of comments from other women? So I you? actually paint my nails myself. I've only had um, like my nails actually done for the past like month or two because mm-hmm. I went on vacation and then I had my cousin's wedding. So I was like, oh, I gotta mm. do the nails, gotta do everything. Um, but I actually prefer having my natural ones and just painting them nude because I'm a practical kind of gal. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of things with <laughs> her nails. She can't have them too long. Yeah. You're a working woman. He's working. (laughs) Profesh. Very profesh. But it is interesting how we tend to, like, doll ourselves up and, like, do all the things Mm -hmm. for the approval of our gender. Yeah. I guess I've always felt um, a little on the outs with women as well. I, I tended growing up to have more male friends. Like I had really tight friends in high school. Like there was the three of us that always hung out together and we were all women, but 
besides that, you know, I always had a lot of male friends and that's been true through my adulthood as well. Probably because women have traumatized me so deeply that I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and I always, when I'm around women, I always feel super masculinized. I always feel like I'm the dude who can like reach stuff off the top shelf for them and give them the bear hug. <laughs> you know, like I, I kind of default to a more masculinized position, I guess. So maybe that's why I haven't. Maybe I feel that way because I'm insecure about the dolling myself up because I feel like no matter how much makeup I put on or if I did my nails or the clothes that I would wear or the bras that I could get that would fit, it would not do anything to get women to like me because I hate myself internally. So I think that part of that internal self-loathing has really influenced the way I treat my health, though, too. Because I will defer, <laughs> defer, defer, delay doctor's appointments until I'm basically a rotting cabbage in the ground in the backyard. Like, I, I tend to default to making sure everyone else is taken care of, but I will always suppress my need or my desire to get medical treatment and <clears throat> with the dentist in particular I think I went like 10 years without going to a dentist oh my goodness. and I still have never had a cavity so wow <laughs> yeah it's my one genetic merit but I will avoid healthcare at all costs and I think our healthcare system is a little traumatizing very I much so yeah, I've been treated very badly uh, for a series of reasons, but how do you feel about going to the doctor? Is that something that you do regularly or are you fearful avoidant in the medical system like I am as well? Very much so. I get so much anxiety. Um, I hate going there because they don't know what they're talking mm -hmm. about most of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's fine. I mean, like, if there's, like, seriously something wrong, then, of course, like, yeah, sure, I'll go to the doctors, you know, but regular checkups, I can do that myself. I'm fine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a thermometer, you got a mirror, that's pretty much all they do. All you need. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of incompetence with doctors. Very much so. And that's not a dig on their profession. Like what a great and can be a very selfless profession, mm -hmm. but you know what doctors can pass medical school with a B minus. Right. Right. So I think I've just been getting all the B minus. <laughs> like, Misdiagnose and forget shit. Like the last doctor I went to like forgot this huge thing and was like, Oh, by the way, I totally forgot to tell you three months ago that yeah. this was going on in your body. And I was like, oh, okay. So mm -hmm. I could die. And you're like, oops, sorry, forgot. Just kind of slipped my mind. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it's bad. How do you feel about the dentist? Um, I, I treat the dentist and the doctors pretty much the same. Um, hate going. Um... 
I actually had like a traumatizing event in my childhood. Um, Quick segue. So I had like this phantom cough, like in the second grade. So I would like literally cough like every like 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. even though there was nothing wrong with me. So like that drove my mother crazy. And so she took me to the doctors. We did like allergy tests, like they could not figure it out. And then they were like, I think your daughter has like a phantom cough or whatever. So then they like prescribed me like sucking on candy, like hard candy. And so whenever I had the itch to cough, I would just like, you know, have candy in my mouth and like have the candy coat my throat. It was a whole situation. What was your go-to candy? Are we talking like Werther's Originals or Peppermints? No. So um, it's like this lychee candy that you can be found oh. in. I know. Um, yeah. the Asian stores down in San Diego or mm-hmm. anywhere really that's ethnic. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would carry those around. I was the coolest girl in school because I got to <laughs> have candy during class. Doctors know. Um, but a byproduct of that is she had <laughs> so many cavities in her mouth, obviously, for oh. having candy. So I had like to do the serious like surgeries and stuff. I had to be like put under like laughing gas. And I remember I, like, did not respond positively to it. And, <laughs> and so I remember, like, asking for my mom in this, like, dentist's office while they're trying to put me down. And they bring in this random lady. And they said hmm. that this was my mother. And I said, are you kidding me? So, Yeah. I cried, obviously, because it was traumatizing. And I was like, where's my actual birth giver? Because that's not her. At least get someone with the same frame, you know? Where was your mom? She was in the waiting room. That's weird. That is very traumatizing. Very traumatizing. So, yeah. I don't like going to um, <laughs> So... Very important question. Do you have fake teeth? I don't. But you have a lot of fillings. Yes. Have you ever had a root canal? I don't think I have. I feel like I would remember that. Mm. I don't think I have. I do have to get my um, wisdom teeth taken out. Oh, no. But I feel like I'm just going to wait until they're truly painful and can't be avoided any longer so I think I have a few years yeah I got mine out about five years ago because they were causing really bad headaches and they they hadn't even fully come in yet they were just crowding my jaw and pushing all my teeth together so I got them out right before I got pregnant uh because you know I just didn't want to deal with medication and stuff with the baby and uh I remember so oh my gosh I went into this oral surgeon's office and the guy looked just like David Hasselhoff you know from Baywatch Mm -hmm. but he was like yoked out like he probably in his 50s or 60s but he was totally roided out like just looked like he had been affected by nuclear waste like one of those kinds of buff guys and it was so gross and I just kept staring at the veins popping out of his arms and I was like I can't believe you're a medical professional like you look like you're about to die because of the serious roid situation going on so anyway 
he starts <laughs> gassing me up or whatever. And I guess him and his nurses were laughing because I was singing songs about like drinking martinis or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't drink really. So it was just kind of odd, but I guess I responded well to the gas and, um, but I got the, uh, what do they call it? The dry socket issue, uh, where it wasn't healing right. And man, that hurt really bad. So I think after you get yours done, I think they say suck on like tea bags or Mm -hmm. put them in sockets to keep them hydrated or whatever. But that dry socket shit was awful. And then I had to go back in and they packed some kind of antiseptic into the holes. It was a bummer. But, um, yeah. And, but now that I'm going to the dentist again, (laughs) after like 10 years away, I know I said earlier that I won't patronize like Vietnamese owned nail salons, Mm -hmm. but when I look for a dentist, I always look for a Vietnamese name because I'm like, Oh, I'm going to support my people. Mm -hmm. And they're usually really mean to me, but now (laughs) that the younger generation is in these professional positions, I have a guy Mm -hmm. He is technically a grown man. Technically? <laughs> I mean, he's got to be in his 20s. Okay. And he talks like this. Hey, Jid, how are your guns feeling today? <laughs> he has such a bro Southern California voice oh that I'm just spending the whole time trying not to laugh <laughs> at, like, what a, his name is, like, Vin Le Fam or something like that. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's amusing to me. So I, that's an enjoyable part of going to the dentist that's now. Nice. Yeah, but um, otherwise I hate it because they don't give you toys anymore. I no, that they don't. And they just you know. give you this stupid, like, toothbrush and small toothpaste. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I was like, I want to look in the treasure chest like I used to. I don't even get the free toothpaste anymore. Are you serious? Yeah. Surfer boy doesn't hand out freebies. That's so upsetting. Yeah. He's as frugal as my ancestors. It's fitting. Yeah. Well, in terms of health, I mean, there's two other big things (laughs) that we need to talk about. Maybe you should choose where we go because I feel like these might be pretty in-depth, long topics. I mean, there's mental health, which, I mean, where do we begin? And then vaginal upkeep. So crazy. What funner? (laughs) Let's do some vaginal upkeep and then we'll, like, end on a doozy of, like, hey, do you need to seek mental therapy oh yeah i always love ending an episode with the suicide hotline number very much so um okay so vagina upkeep i want you to be my gynecologist oh (laughs) (laughs) i do (laughs) so i think i texted you when this happened but um i went to go get an iud in and um Mm -hmm. It was a very rushed thing, so I couldn't go to, like, the one I chose, and it was a whole situation. So I had to go to this one man, 
And he had the widest name ever. It was like an mm-hmm. old money name, you know? And oh. I was, I immediately like looked him up, looked up his whole like history being a gynecologist. And my whole thing is like, mm-hmm. I just don't trust you if you chose to look at vaginas all day. True. Yeah. You know, and you're a man. So that just makes me uncomfortable. So I was really dreading this appointment. I had to leave work early. I had to drive all the way up to like Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. It was wow, that's pretty far. I know. And yeah, it was the worst experience ever. He was like, so like, how long have you been with your partner? And I was like, who said I had one? Ugh, presumptuous. Very presumptuous. And then he was like, "Do you have you any?" Been like, what you should have been like? Which one? What day is it today? <laughs> um, what else? Yeah, he was like, "Do you have any questions?" And I was like, "I do, but none that you could answer that would give me, like, you know, I don't need your." opinions or perceptions or expertise because you don't have any when it comes to vaginas so (laughs) yeah and then it was just the worst experience ever because it's so invasive and he was like I'm gonna talk to you while I'm doing this and like quite literally sticking my whole fist in your nether regions and I was like love that great awesome my nurse was like the sweetest asian lady and i'm like why couldn't you do this you know yeah he's probably like okay step aside i'm gonna do this (laughs) yeah and so i hate when they like scoot you up Mm -hmm. you're only laying down there i'm like okay didn't invite you in but it's fine um Yeah. yeah so i just wish that you were my gynecologist and really any person I mean I have a PhD and I could use (laughs) some stuff (laughs) I think I'm as qualified as your old money doctor there yeah I think so yeah his name is probably like Franklin Herbert Wright the third or whatever it was definitely a third Mm, yeah the people the white men with three names are always a little bit scary history has told us to and he just like brushed my like knee and i was just like oh Oh. assault very much so i would like to take like talk to your hr specialist thank you very much yeah see i well is it the i well okay People come to our podcast for education. What is, <laughs> for those who might not know, what's an IUD? And my question is, mm-hmm. is it very painful or uncomfortable to have that implanted? Okay. So um, an IUD is a form of birth control. It The one that I got lasts up to like three to five years. Um, it is hormonal. Um, but they literally, it's like a T-shaped thing um and they stick it up your vagina and into your uterus um 
that part's very painful. I suggest taking ibuprofen beforehand, but you're still going to feel everything. And then um, you're going to have severe cramps afterwards for about two days. Um, Bring a heating pad. And then you're probably going to bleed for about like a month, two months straight. But then after that, it's like all fun and dandy. Can't even feel it. Woohoo. I'm really dreading the extraction process um, yeah so we'll see um but yeah i would recommend it <laughs> so now I it's actually, all boning and no babies yeah so i actually was like super against like birth control for a long time because i just didn't like hormones messing up mm-hmm. the natural balance of things um so I was gonna get the like non-hormonal IUD but I was reading that it could potentially make your period um symptoms worse and I was just like if I'm gonna do this I might as well get some positives yeah you know? so mm-hmm. I chose the hormonal one instead um and everything's been smooth sailing it's been good well, that's good to hear. Um, no crying babies in the background yet, so it's doing no. its job. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how on a daily basis women have to measure risk and reward with our health mm-hmm. and just our everyday maintenance. I <clears throat> I was the same as you. I really was distrusting of birth control and um, the way that it affects our physiology, really. And I... Okay, so Debbie Downer aside, if anybody's interested, you should look into the history of Puerto Rico and the testing that the pharmaceutical corporations did on women in Puerto Rico in, I guess, probably like maybe the 60s as they were developing birth control pills. They basically sterilized almost an entire generation of Puerto Rican women um, testing all these hormonal concoctions on them so birth control has a really fucked up history uh uh, just as all of human history has on experimenting on women's bodies especially women of color and you know black women indigenous women all that so that's a fun aside so i (laughs) i brought all that into birth control too and i actually stopped taking birth control for a long time because i was also when i was younger i went to male gynecologist and there was one, this was before Kevin Spacey turned out to be like a sexual assaulter, but I had one that looked like Kevin Spacey. And then I just got weirded out because it was like having Kaiser Soze look into my loins and then prescribe me a pill to like control my body. And I was just like weirded out that men are prescribing pills for women's bodies and, and what they can and cannot do. So that was very disturbing. <clears throat> and then I switched to this. Uh, gynecological and OBGYN group when I was trying to get pregnant that was all women so all the doctors all the nurses all the receptionists are women and that was great because I felt like they understood and they'd actually listen to me and aside from a couple weird things that happened when I was in the delivery room where like the doctor asked me well what do you want to do and I was like you're the doctor you tell me what I should do I had been pushing for like four hours by that point and it was like hour 30 of labor and I was like why are you asking me um uh but 
I stopped going there because I went to an appointment where I was having, uh, like all kinds of problems after my second delivery and blood clots and pain, like all this gross stuff, which like you said, like you, you can expect bleeding for a month or two afterwards. It's amazing how many times as a woman you're told, well, you're going to bleed for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. but it's okay. It's normal. Like that's just part of our lives. So this doctor, a young woman, a woman of color has the audacity to pull out a blank piece of paper and draw for me ovaries and a uterus mm-hmm. after my second baby. Okay. So I've had two children by this point. I'm an adult woman. I'm yeah. older than she is. And she's drawing for me basic female anatomy. Mm-hmm. And I got so pissed because I felt condescended to, but then I also got pissed at a deeper level. Cause I'm like, this bitch has to do this for women because women are never taught about our bodies and like what parts are in there and how they work. So she's probably used to drawing a cartoon fucking uterus to teach women like this is why you bleed and this is why you're having pain and this is where you get cancer. And so it just made me mad about the world. Um. So yeah, it saddens me that women are socialized to be ignorant of their own bodies. And hopefully that's changing now because things have been up for voting and we see that Congress is a bunch of old men Mm -hmm. making decisions to regulate the female body and police it pretty much. So I think young women are becoming aware of that and taking action, which is good. Have you ever had a UTI? No. No. Really? I know. Oh, so you sleep, with, back. you sleep with clean people then. <laughs> <laughs> How quaint and square of you, Allura. <laughs> okay, oh, I'm so, so boring. I, I wish I had a yes answer for you. <laughs> I know. No dirty alleyway sex? Come on. What kind of podcast is this? Okay, so I have a great tip for all the listeners out there. And I think this is uh, a women's rights issue. (laughs) Okay, so uh, I started getting UTIs when I was in my early 20s. And I think it was because I was holding my pee, especially after sex. You can't do that. I know, because movies teach you like, oh, you're supposed to lay there. Absolutely not. Get off me. I got to go pee. Exactly. You should always pee after sex. But I was a pee holder to begin with, just because of fear of public places (laughs) and fear of my own body and wanting to punish it. Okay, so you should never hold your pee. It's really terrible. You can actually drive your body to the point where you have to have a catheter and stuff if you hold your pee too long. So I want to use scare tactics to educate our listeners. that It's effective. It works. Yeah, thank you. So... When I had a couple of UTIs, they're so painful and it affects your urination for weeks after even your antibiotics have gone out. And I didn't want to take antibiotics because I especially grew up in a culture that was like very anti-Western medicine because it pretty much destroys your body. Oh my God. Did you hear about the Matthew Perry thing where he's like, was taking 55 Vicodin a day? Yes. Oh shit. Like poor guy. And his like mouth is all caved in. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Addiction was a bitch. Anyway, so yeah, Western medicine, bad juju. So watch out for those antibiotics. 
So I had I met this wonderful friend in my PhD program. She's like, oh yeah, I was getting UTIs too, but I found this natural way that you will never get a UTI again. What is like, it? What is this magical herb? It's called D manos. So D hyphen M A N N O S E. You can find it at your local white people's grocery store, like a Sprouts or a Whole Foods. You know where white I'm people. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, you can also order it online if you hate white people with dreadlocks. <laughs> but D-Manos is basically a combination of herbs and like cranberry extract and things like that. <clears throat> because, I mean, you can drink sugar-free cranberry juice, but you have to chug like two gallons of it to, for it to have an effect. So this is all concentrated. So you get the maximum effect in this little tiny pill. So if you take that, especially if you're sexually active on a regular basis or like pops them after you have sex with those dirty dirty boys <laughs> you will never get a uti again so don't let it go ladies until the point you have to take antibiotics just take your d manos and that is mother nature taking care of all of her female sisters love that d manos should sponsor us you know i've asked gynecologists like oh what about d manos and they're like what they don't know. They don't know. Because they're, they're they want not taught to fail. They want us to come back. They work for a big pharmacy. They do. So, yeah. Use your natural ways when you can. These are the ways of our people, mm-hmm. of our ancestors that we've been colonized out of. So, yeah. I have to make everything a racial thing. <laughs> <laughs> a little kink I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I do with pillow talk. I'm like, ooh, honey, you want to talk about colorism? (laughs) (laughs) It's a big time kink. Yeah. So I want everyone to understand that having a vagina is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And it should be everyone's priority to help us take care of our vaginas. Well, that's it. Okay, so Allura, I know we were going to talk about mental health today, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's so much to say about mental health. And we do talk about it in pretty much all of our episodes because yeah. we need trauma, it, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trauma informs every decision that we make. Mm-hmm. But maybe we can play like a quick game here at the end. Oh, a game? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the whole thing of like... Uh, you know you're Asian if so let's do you know you're depressed if (laughs) that'll be fun right and then we can use things from our own depression and anxiety can I tell you a funny story real quick before we start this game of course always I'm an avid napper I can sleep Mm -hmm. anywhere okay and so this one time I was like fell asleep on the living room couch i'll never do this again and then i like wake up and my mother is like sitting and she's like i can see her face just on top of mine and she looks really worried and i was just like what is happening what is it and she was like are you like mentally depressed (laughs) (laughs) and then you said yes and went back to sleep (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
So I was like, can you be physically depressed? Why? (laughs) So now that's just a joke we tell each other whenever we're even remotely (laughs) sad or displaying any sort of depressive behaviors. Did you ask her that in return when you were eating that plate of fried chicken? (laughs) Very much so. I say it to her all the time because now she's really going through it. And she was like, I think I am. Um, Oh, and then it's not funny anymore. I know because it's fine. Um, Way to kill it, Steph. Okay. Okay. Game time. (laughs) So I guess the first one would be, you know, you're depressed if you take long naps everywhere you go. Yeah. (laughs) guilty i realized something the other day that i realized that i've been depressed since i was a kid (laughs) (laughs) because you know the beach boys Uh uh-huh their music (laughs) which usually brings joy to others always makes me involuntarily cry oh have you seen their, um, I think it's called Love and Mercy. It's kind of like a documentary-esque op-ed about the Beach Boys. I know because I would be crying through the whole thing. Yeah, it's super sad. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to give you a reason for why you're sad. You know what I've been watching is the show Reboot on Hulu. It's a very meta show about uh, writers and actors that reboot a sitcom from the early 90s. And it's very funny, but the one very uncomfortable thing for me is that Johnny Knoxville is in it. And that's someone that I used to fantasize about boning, like, back in the day, the jackass days. I was like, ew, bad boy. (laughs) He's got Converse on. Um, He has... A full head of gray hair now. Oh. And his eyes are like sunken and he has wrinkles. Oh, so he's not like a silver fox. Not exactly. He still has the same charm, but it's just very disconcerting for me because it makes me confront my own mortality. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know you're depressed Mm -hmm. if... Allura? Yes. Um... You know you're depressed when you're forced to see your middle school guidance counselor. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that was that was a really watershed moment for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> um you know you're depressed if people are commenting on how long it's been since you took a shower. <laughs> One time my uncle was like, oh, what's that on your neck? And it was dirt. Because <laughs> I hated myself so much that I didn't shower for a long, long time. <laughs> Why is it dirt? <laughs> I really just wanted someone to see me. <laughs> you're crying (laughs) this is the best game ever (laughs) 
I like tell like people <laughs> like snippets of like our show and they're just <laughs> always so like worried and concerned and I'm like no but it's funny and they're like but is it yeah <laughs> no not really it, it comes from a core of sadness but <laughs> oh my goodness I'm out of breath okay <laughs> okay one more each yeah let's do it okay let's see um oh man you know you're depressed um i'm trying to find a funny one. <laughs> oh, they're all too sad now <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um. <laughs> the options running through my head right now is just a cornucopia of options. I, I know. I'm trying to make sure when this is released, like we, like people don't send like welfare checks to our houses. Well, you know, it's springtime. Yeah. <laughs> Kindness is in bloom. <laughs> um, you know you're depressed when you make curated playlists just for <laughs> <laughs> like one for my funeral. Yeah. Oh my god. Speaking of funerals, I feel like <laughs> when I'm my most depressed. I really, <laughs> I really have this desire to not to die, but to just disappear, mm-hmm. just to like blink myself out of existence. Like I was never born. And then I just want to float above and watch how the people I love function so much better without me. <laughs> yes. Like um, the lovely bones. I, that was like one of my yeah. favorite books growing up. Yeah, but see, then I don't want to have died like that girl because I don't want anyone to remember me because that would be a right upon their memory. You just want to yeah. see other your loved ones like just function without you and doing just fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you ever book. driving and just think, what if I just veer and run myself off this cliff? Oh, Allura, we're going to get some phone calls after this. <laughs> went too far yeah. you may see flashing lights outside of your home after this airs but answer to your question yes yes and yes I also imagine like final destination stuff you remember that one where like the logs bounce off the logging truck into the windshield I think about that a lot Wow, this got dark. You know you're depressed <laughs> if <laughs> um if your stained ill-fitting clothes feel like an unbearable weight. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love making you cry from laughter. It's a true joy. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This is so funny. <laughs> yeah, maybe this should be a regular segment. 
I think so. I think we should find different <laughs> different topics mm-hmm. and end each episode like this. Yeah, well, I think now we got to do the you know you're Asian if. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should make a list of things that we have in common and riff maybe i love that it's like the gas. depression was the one that kick-started it because well, well, honestly i was like oh man if we're gonna you know in preparing for this episode we're like oh well, we have to approach mental health as well because because when you're depressed you can't appreciate the springtime like it just feels yeah. like an assault on the senses you feel offended by hope and life very and much birth so. and all that and I was like, okay, we're going to talk about mental health and therapy. And I just realized in all my different iterations of therapy, including the current one that I'm in, I'm always fascinated by how shocked the therapist looks when I say <laughs> how I feel. <laughs> they're like a medical professional who sees depressed people all the time. And then I'll say something and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> But does that, like, make you feel good? Kind of. Like, you've shocked them. A medical professional. In your... Well, I find... You know? Yeah. I try to bring newness everywhere I go. Right. Try to make impressions. Well, you know, talking about validation earlier, that's truly validating. Like, when you can shock a mental health professional, Mm -hmm. you're like, ooh, yeah, I really am mentally ill. (laughs) It wasn't all in my head. <laughs> or maybe it is, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Winning! <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll just keep a running list of the things that I tell my therapist that makes her beautiful face go, oh, God. Yes. Yeah, okay, this will be a fun game. See, out of our... Um, morbid depression comes mm-hmm. new creative things. Yeah. Should we just end this here abruptly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking go pick some flowers, enjoy the sunshine. Happy okay. spring, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed our talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're depressed if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> Please, we are fine. Do not be concerned. <laughs> um, follow us on our Instagrams. More social media is coming soon. Um, and until next time, make good choices. <laughs> 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 <laughs>